Good morning. Welcome to Faith. This beautiful, beautiful <clears throat> Lord's Day. Dur during, during the summer months at Faith, we take the month of July to focus on prayer, that great, that important discipline of the Christian life, prayer. <clears throat> and, and this year, we're going to be looking at the prayers in the book of Ephesians, some of the, pr the prayer in Ephesians as we seek to be more faithful to God and how we talk to him and how we, how we think about prayer, our own prayer lives. Um, Ephesians is one of my, it's one of my favorite books. It's a, <clears throat> it's, I think it's one of the most important letters that Paul wrote. In fact, I, I heard this week that it was, it was uh, John Calvin's favorite Pauline letter. I didn't know that. <clears throat> it's right up there with the book of Romans. I should probably have some less value here because I got a loud voice this morning, it sounds like. So at least to me, I'm hearing a lot. And I might get loud today. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, Romans is a, is a great book with deep, detailed theology and doctrine. And, and I picture Paul writing Romans with his scrolls, his books around him, and, and trying to think through how he wants to put the arguments together. And it's a lot of detail, and it's great stuff in Romans. But, but I picture Paul as he writes Ephesians. He's, just kind of, he's on his knees. He's, he's, he's praying to God, and, he, and it just comes out of him. I think Romans comes from the head of Paul, and Ephesians comes from the heart of Paul. This month, we'll be looking at some of the things there in our pulpit series. We look at chapter, chapter 6. He talks about, I see him praying it fervently in the spirit because there's a spiritual warfare that we all have to deal with. In chapter 3, he, he's, talk, he's talked about Jew and Gentile in one body, one body of Christ, uh, that the world might see it. And, and, and he says that the world might see, uh, uh, do more than we can even ask or imagine, that it would see the unity of the body of Christ. And he's pleading, he's, he's kneeling, I can see him in tears as he writes that. In this chapter, we're going to look at the first part of it today, I see him with his hands raised in, in praise. Just as I saw earlier and I walked in, people with their hands raised saying, we're blessed in the city, we're blessed in the fields. That great Fred Hammond song that comes from Deuteronomy. This passage today, that's the posture that we see Paul as he's just saying, praise the Lord for the wonderful salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Romans is about theology and doctrine and, and, and the Bible, then Ephesians is about praise and prayer and worship. And I'm going to encourage you to read the book of Ephesians this summer. We'll be looking at, even in, in, in August, we'll be looking at the fifth chapter of Ephesians, very a deep dive into that. But let's look today at um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, the first half of the first chapter, the ESV translation. It should be on your, your screen there. <coughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we, are, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our, sin, of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, unto the praise of his glory. God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Our, our prayers, our prayers are grounded in the spiritual blessings of God that are ours through Jesus Christ. Our prayers, they're, they're grounded in that. That's the foundation. That's why we have access to the throne, because of the, the blessings that we have in Christ. And that's my title today, Blessings in Christ. Blessings in Christ. The first three, three, three verses, there's kind of a common ancient epistle or letter structure that the, that the Apostle Paul begins with. You know, when we write a letter, we usually write to so-and-so, and at the bottom, in the letter, we put from Stan. They didn't do it that way. They put it all the top. To you, from me. They, that's the way they did it. And, that, and so that's Paul's structure here, which is usually his structure in all of his letters. Makes a whole lot of sense. He's writing to the saints, the holy ones, the ones that are set apart, uh, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. He says grace and peace. Grace is a very common Gentile blessing and greeting, and shalom, is, is, which is the Hebrew word, he uses the Greek word, but it's a very common Jewish uh, a blessing and greeting. And in this book, that, it, it, that anticipates the book of Ephesians, because he's going to talk about the unity of Jew and Gentile in Ephesians. Grace and peace to, to all of you at in the churches, the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, expressing to the world the reality of what God is like. Now, now the, the, the structure of what I'm going to do today, you know, the, verses 3 to 14, which is one of my, my, most of my passages today here, is, is it's Paul's great praise, his great doxology, it's been called. And you may know that he uses a literary device here that's, that's quite unnatural. In fact, your English teacher would say don't do this. It's a long run-on sentence. A long run-on sentence. He's going on and on and on. It just snowballs as he begins to ponder God's salvation and what God has done. If he did that in, in grammar class, he'd probably get an F. But he's not in grammar class. He's writing a letter trying to get us excited about what God has done. And he just... He's overwhelmed with, with praise and joy. There's also, there's kind of a Trinitarian structure to this whole thing. He talks about the fact that we're elected by God, we're redeemed by the Son, and, and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. God's the one, the Father elects us, the Son redeems us, the Spirit seals us. I want to focus my thoughts today on, on two things. First uh, is the praise, his, his praise for God's blessing. And then the purpose for those blessings, which I think is, we can see towards the end here. Um, first is the praise. I want to look at, basically I want to look at um, verses 3 and following in light of the, the, some of the, the key verbs that are there in the, in the passage. Because if we understand the verbs, we'll understand what God has done. Because God is the subject of each of the primary verbs here. There's seven verbs here. It's a long run-on sentence and he is excited. And he's describing God's plan of salvation. The first one is the, the, the basic one. Verse, the, uh, verse 3. It's, he has blessed. Look at verse, verse 3. Bless me, God, who has blessed us with spiritual blessing. Three times the, the, the phrase bless is used there. 
The first word, he's blessed us. God has blessed us. Uh, the word blessed there is, is the word that, we, that our English word eulogy comes from, which is that final blessing, that good word, that well-spoken word that we give when someone passes away. You may remember in Psalm 103, David blesses God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that's within me, bless his holy name. And, and his blessing of God is because he's responding to God's blessing. Don't forget all your benefits, soul. He says, what has God done? He forgives all of our iniquity, heals our diseases, redeemed us, our life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love. So he's responding. He's blessing God because God has blessed him. He's speaking well of God because God is speaking well of him. God has done these things for him. The phrase is, he, he has blessed us. Now, now, now us. This, now, us is not, now, not just the saints at Ephesus. But all the saints who have ever come in Christ, come to, to know the grace of Christ. Now, there's an interesting thing here in the book of, this book of Ephesians. Many scholars believe that this letter, this is the Ephesian version of what was called a circular letter that went to many churches. This is a, this is a circular letter that many churches would have received. Now, a couple of reasons why, so you know in terms of background. The, the scholars found a copy of the letter that's the same letter, at least portions of it, but, but it's to... The, the saints at Laodicea, not the saints at Ephesus. It looks, it's just the same letter. What's going on here? That's one letter that's been found apparently there. But then there's, there's a lot of internal evidence. And I want you to think about what you might know about the scriptures. In the book of Acts, where the apostle Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus doing missionary work, gr great things happened in Acts 18, 19, and 20. As the word of God grew, when the church grew, when, and, and unbelievers heard the gospel, and, and churches were planted from Ephesus, this key Roman city. And you remember in Acts chapter 20, when Paul returns there to, to, to the city of Miletus near Ephesus, and he gathers the elders at Ephesus together because this, he, he, he imagined, and he, it was true, was to be the final, his farewell, because he knew he was going to Jerusalem, and that he might not ever return and see them again. They had this tearful farewell with, with the Apostle Paul in Miletus on the, on, on the side of the shore. He knew these people at Ephesus very, very well. And yet, yet, if you look at the end of the book of Ephesus, he doesn't say hi to any of them. <laughs> he doesn't give any shout-outs like he does in Romans. There's a whole long list of people in Romans 16 that he gives shouts out. So scholars believe that this was... This was not a letter to specifically the church at Ephesus that he knew so well, but it's to the it's a general letter where he's trying to share his heart. And it, yes, the Ephesians got it, but not it wasn't just. And so it, it's it, it's for us too. He's not dealing with a problem. He's trying to share his heart. He's praying that the church, universal, the church in that age, the church in this generation, would know the heart of God. This comes out of Paul's heart from his prayer life. And, 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 and he begins it by wanting us to know that, that we are blessed. Because of Jesus, we are blessed. That's his first verb. The question is, how has God blessed us? How has he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Well, the, the, the next verbs are going to uh, unpack that for us. Uh, verse 4, the, the verb number 2 is he chose us. He chose us, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. He chose us so we're special. And it's interesting that Paul would say, he would not say, we're special so he chose us. And there's a big difference there. Big difference. 
He didn't choose us because we were so special. <laughs> he chose us, and that makes us special. Don't get that confused. Don't get that confused. The, the, the choice or selection is not based on our skill or our character or our behavior, but on his decision to choose. And this is not something new for God now. In the Old Testament, he chose a people to be his own as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, Moses says this. You are, you are, you are people, chapter 7, verse 6 to 8. You are people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, it was not because you were more in number than other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all the people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your, your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Moses is telling them, God didn't choose you because you're anything special. And we need to hear the same thing, don't we? <laughs> but he chose us. That makes us special. That makes us the apple of his eye, his treasured possession. You know, being selected, being chosen is exciting, isn't it? Not being chosen stinks, though. How many of you have never been, have, have experienced in your life where you weren't chosen for something? Well, I think all of us can, unless, I see a few superstars out there, but most of us have had the experience of not being chosen. So I remember in, in 10th grade, I was, uh, I, I loved playing basketball, and I went out for the JV team, the junior varsity team, a basketball team at my, my high school. And, uh, you know, went to every morning, practice was at 7 o'clock, and um, I, I got a ride from, from Melvin Walker, and um, it came down to the last day, and, and the, the, the cuts were going to be made, the last cuts. The day before that, there was, there were, there was one open slot, and there were two of us left. And we all kind of knew it was going to be me and, me and Melvin. Everybody knew that. We were going to be at the end of the bench if we made the team. So the, the, the final morning came, and I'm on the, on the bus corner, and he never came by. <laughs> Interesting. So I got to church to, 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 to um, school that morning, and I, when I saw him, I said, "Hey, you never came by. I was I came by. You weren't there, right?" So you know. So and of course, the, when the list was posted of who made the team, I did not make the team, and the rest is history. <laughs> now, not like Michael Jordan, who didn't make his team and worked harder. I didn't do that. I didn't make the team, so I moved on to other things. But we all know the feeling of not being chosen. I mean, here it is. A few years later, and I still remember his name, but I have forgiven him. <laughs> but the feeling of not being chosen is hard to put aside. Being part of an athletic team is a great experience. And when, when a great player, though, can no longer jump high or run fast, he quickly gets tossed aside. How many times have you seen a, a great team win a championship and say, hey, we're like a family? Right. Let's see 15 years ago if you're part of this family, in 15 years after you can't run and can't jump. It's a temporary family, and you're part of that family based on skill and your performance. I got good news for you. God's family is not like that. God's family is not based on performance or skill that you or I have done. It's based on the performance and skill of the Lord Jesus Christ. His performance, his skill, his perfect salvation purchase for us. He's the Lamb of God. I have four sisters. 
Not, not by choice. Not by my actions. But by the choice and actions of somebody in a generation above me, my parents. <laughs> and that's what salvation is like. <laughs> We're part of this family, not by our own choice, because somebody has done some work before us. And we have benefits of that work. Paul has that in mind, however, um, uh, the, 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 this idea of being part of a family. But there's something different that he has it. As he talks about fam- being part of the family, being sons and daughters. Um, in many parts of the New Testament, we hear about being born again, being born into the family, being regenerated, being born from above, this spiritual uh, uh, experience. But here is something even more magnificent. This is our third verb. Verses 5 and 6. Look, look at verses 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption. There's the word. To himself, as sons, through Jesus Christ. He has adopted us into his body, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved adoption. You know, there's... (laughs) I Googled and, and, and found a whole lot of people that I didn't know were adopted. Pictures of some of them. You know, the entertainment field. There's Eric Clapton and Faith Hill and Jamie Foxx. Poets, Mayo Angelou, Edgar Allan Poe. Entrepreneurs, Dave Thomas, the, the founder of Wendy's, Steve Jobs. Politicians, Jesse Jackson, Caesar Augustus, Martin, uh, Nelson Mandela. Athlet, the world of athletics, uh, Simone Biles, Babe Ruth. A few Baltimore people in there, as you notice, Ruth and Poe, but, but they're adopted. So adoption, uh, uh, people, adoption can ch- change one's life. And often adoption occurs after a child has been drifting and without the security, without the feeling, and feeling that they've lost a solid identity, wandering, feeling disconnected. But God gives us sonship. Sonship has privileges. Just as adoption has, physical adoption has privileges. There's a, there's a, there's a sense of security, a sense of, of belonging, a sense of having a future inheritance. There's a sense of ownership that happens vicariously because you're part of that, that new family. I was thinking about, you might hear uh, one child say to another child, you know, come over to my house and play. And you don't think about the fact that that child's name's not on a mortgage. It's not their house, but it is their house vicariously because it's the house of the parents. The parents' name's on the mortgage or... Rent and, uh, but but be, because they're part of the family, they have ownership. There's ownership that takes place, and there's and, and there's inheritance rights that come with adoption legally. We have the privilege of owning all the blessings that Christ owns, because we're part of His family. That's why Paul's excited. That's why I'm. A, that's why you should be excited. The fourth verb, He has redeemed us. He's redeemed us. It's a different form, but verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He's redeemed us. Redemption is an interesting word in the New Testament. The idea is is being bought with a price, being bought with a price. There's 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 a passive involvement by the one who has purchased. There's a cost. There's a purchase price. The idea was often of, of slaves who were purchased because of debt or whatever problems there were. They were bought um, um, to not to be, to be, we were bought 
not to become slaves again in that sense, but to be freed. And, and freedom in the New Testament is, is to come under the, 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 the authority of a benevolent master, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what freedom is. A master who will take care of you, who will care for you. But, but in redemption, in, in, in purchases, in, in the world of economics, there's always a moment of transaction, a moment of transaction where, where ownership status is changed. In the New Testament, we know there's this stamp, the tetelestai, the debt is paid in full. Jesus did that on the cross. A moment of transaction. You know, you know in, our, in our day, we're less and less handling cash over over face-to-face -face with a clerk in our, in our society and having those kind of fiscal transactions. Uh, checks are almost becoming obsolete, literal checks. It's much more online uh, economic activity. Um, credit cards are still used, but even often those aren't used with personal interaction. Those are done sometimes done online. You have PayPal, we have uh, usage of credit cards. Um, we, we agree to the terms without having a human contact often. But, but you know, legally, there is still a moment of transaction. It's a moment where the transaction is executed. Because that's the way it is. It's the same way in our faith. You know, maybe the moment where your spiritual transaction, where your redemption took place, is known only to you and God. Maybe it wasn't something public. But if you had that moment, that eureka experience where you got it, it all became clear. Then at that moment, you were redeemed by Jesus Christ, and you were purchased with the price of his blood. It, it may be fuzzy to you even, but it's known to God. If you're following him today, if you're a disciple of Christ today, if you, if you love him because he first loved you, there was a moment where you consciously decided you wanted to be his child. Now, maybe you're a covenant child. Maybe you were brought up in the church and you were brought up to love God with all your heart as best you could and to repent as you could. And, and maybe you can't think of a moment where you decided, I want to follow Jesus. Well, there was a moment. There was a moment where you made the choice to not follow the ways of the world and to follow Jesus if you have done that. If that's where your heart is, it's because your heart has been changed, it's been transformed by the Spirit of God. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe, maybe today you need to say, you know, I really, truly want, I understand I want to follow Jesus because I understand his love for me. I understand there's nothing I can do to earn his love, that his love for me is without merit. Say yes to Jesus. Say, I, I believe I want to follow him. Everyone has a moment. And after that moment, a relationship becomes clear. There, there's a peace there's a joy of sins forgiven redeemed how I love to proclaim it the writer says redeemed by the blood of the lamb redeemed by his infinite mercy his child forever I am he's redeemed us the fifth verb is in verse 8 he lavished his grace upon us he lavished grace upon us according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight verse 7 and 8 Every day. Think, think about how much God's grace is lavished upon you. I think about that often. Every day, we, we need to under, if we understand the depths of our sin, the depths of our heart, I think, think of the sins of my past, the sins of my present, the sins of my future. 
that God loves me despite that, of, of all, my, all my behavioral sins and my heart motivation sins, my intentional sins and my unintentional sins. Speaking of Leviticus, of my sins of commission and sins of omission, the things that I, that I should do that I don't do. Woe is me. I am a sinner. I rebel against God's love. That's who I am. But by his grace, my heart has been changed. He's forgiven me of so much. He's lavished his grace upon me. Do you understand that? Or are you still high on yourself, thinking that you can, you can find favor with God? You can earn favor with God. That even as a believer, you know, God will be pleased with you if you... If you if you just do more, do better. He lavishes grace upon us every single day. And when we understand that, we'll take the posture of Paul, begin to praise God for his many spiritual blessings. Lavish is an interesting word. It means to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities. To bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities. The Lord creates a rich word picture for me. Standing in a shower and the water just flows down in generous supply. On and on and on and on until you, until you turn the knob. Remind me, the word reminds me for some reason of, of a soap that's called lava. Lavish lava. I don't know why. I think of the word lava, which was a soap. I don't know if anyone uses that soap anymore. But, um, but I think about the, the, how... The, the, the grace just washes us and, if you, and then the soap just cleans you up. That's what God's love does. He lavishes his love upon us. The verse speaks of the riches of his grace. It's about, it, it, this, that's about his forgiveness. It's also about his power. There's his, his saving grace and there's his enabling grace. His grace that, that encourages us and empowers us. You know, as, as Presbyterians, well, we are often falsely accused of focusing too much on sin. You know, we're really focusing on that which wipes away sin, his grace. You, you don't understand grace until you understand the depths of your sin, folks. I don't like to think about my sin, but if I don't, I'll never understand and appreciate the grace of God for me. The songwriter says, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace that is greater, greater than all my sin. Yeah, stop thinking about your sin, and you will never understand what you've been forgiven of. You won't be like that woman who came to Jesus before him and washed her, his feet with her tears. She understood his grace. Do we? Do we appreciate that he has lavished grace upon us? You see, there are really only two kinds of people other than Jesus. You know, there are those who need lots of grace, and they know it. There are those who need lots of grace but they don't know it. That's it. I pray you're in the, the category of those who know you need lots of grace lavished upon your life daily. The sixth verb is in verses 9 to 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will. He's made known to us according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He has made some things known to us. God in his gospel reveals his plan his, to, to unite all things in Christ. The, this anticipates for Paul the mystery that he's going to talk about in chapter 3, okay? That God would unite Jews and Gentiles into one body. And that unity would be a, a foretaste of a future unity that awaits the people of God. 
And God is restoring all things to that original harmony. But God doesn't only reveal his plan. He reveals himself. He reveals himself to us personally. He, he wisely, powerfully does this by making known his will to us. And he does it through interesting ways. Sometimes he reveals, he makes it known through parents. Sometimes just through friends. Sometimes God reveals his will through, 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 through the birth of a child as we begin to really understand what life's all about. It might, maybe it's through nature. The heavens are shouting the glory of God, you know. Psalm 19. Maybe it's through a song that captures your heart and you begin to see your need for grace. Maybe it's through a tragedy in your life or in the life of someone else. Maybe it's through an evangelist who clearly articulates the gospel of Christ and you begin to understand it. Or, or maybe, probably, it's through a combination of those things, isn't it? As God wisely, providentially speaks to our hearts, he knows us, and he knows the exact things that will get our attention and alert us to our spiritual need for his son. He's all-wise, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. He's a sovereign king who rules and reigns upon the throne of the universe. And nothing occurs apart from his knowledge and his decree. Nothing, yes, nothing, the scriptures tell us. Even the painful things that seem so horrible, God is still mysteriously working out his purpose, even through the difficult things. We all have probably seen the verse, Romans 8, that all things work together for good for those who love God are called according to to his purpose. A wonderful example of that verse is in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Um, this, this, the, one of the sons of, of, of Jacob, uh, 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 Joseph, who was <laughs> left for dead by his brothers and was rescued. They thought he was dead, but he wasn't. Many years later, 13 chapters later, he, they are reunited in, in the end of, of, of Genesis chapter 50. And they're afraid. They think he's going to kill them, but he's not. In fact, he blesses them tells them that what they meant for evil, God was working out for good. For their good. For his good. For the good of many, many other people in the world during their generation. God is all wise. God is all powerful. God is Lord. He's, he's the king of the universe. He's sovereign. He makes himself known to us in very interesting, very incredible, very personal ways. He's made known to us. So in Christ, we are an enlightened people. Well, the seventh and last verb is verses 11 and 13. He has sealed us. He sealed us. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, Paul has in mind uh, the, the seal that's placed on an envelope by ancient rulers, which pointed to two things. One would point to ownership. The king's signet ring, a picture of the signet ring, his signet ring, um, the impression was, was like a signature. And he's saying the Holy Spirit, his presence speaks of his ownership over us. And the other thing that the, 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 the seal is, it's a, it's a, it's a security. It, 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 it keeps the letter locked until it's opened up. It was a lock on the envelope. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives speaks of security. The Spirit secures our relationship with God. 
So seven verbs. We're blessed, we're chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed. We're, we have his love lavished upon us. We, 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 he's made known and we are sealed. If, if you want to have a healthy life of praise, it starts with thinking but all the blessings of salvation, like Paul does here. Giving praise to God for the blessings of salvation, like Paul does here. Thanking the Father and thanking the Son and thanking the Spirit for their part in the salvation that we have experienced through Jesus Christ. The Father planned our salvation. The Son executes the plan. And the Holy Spirit reveals that plan to us personally, makes it known to us, and seals that. Seven verbs, things that he's done, that we might know him and be saved. The scriptures are clear. God's plan of salvation is focused on Jesus Christ. God's will for our lives are centered on Christ, and God's blessings come through Jesus Christ. We are truly blessed by him, and we are blessed in him. Now, the, the other thing we want to see in this passage is the purpose. Well, the purpose of these blessings. There's really two purposes that I see here in verses 11 uh, to, thir- to 14. We're blessed, first of all, for our good. <laughs> we're blessed for our good. Again, we just talked about the fact that we're sealed, that we're sealed by the Spirit of God. It's a guarantee of our inheritance. The idea there is, is, is like a down payment. The Holy Spirit is like a down payment of what's to come. You know, when you put money down on a house or a car, uh, you're doing it because you intend to possess it at some point. And, and God, God gives us his spirit as a down payment, a pledge. And that the inheritance we will receive upon death is already ours. The Holy Spirit is, is like an engagement ring, by the way. Given as a pledge to follow through on the promise to love and care for us. We are blessed for our good. God is good. Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is good. It's mercy do us forever. All those things we saw in part one, those are benefits for us. Those are his goodness for us. And, and brothers and sisters, please don't forget the context of this letter where Paul is writing. He's writing from Rome. He's under house arrest. He has Roman guards watching him. He can't leave the premises. He probably has a chain around his ankles like a dog on a leash. He's bound. And yet, yet, he's filled with praise to God for his salvation. And that's the gospel. Sometimes all that we have is the gospel, but the gospel is enough. The sealing of the Spirit points to the ownership that God has over us. We belong to him, and that's a good thing. And in him, we receive his inheritance, eternal life, forever and ever and ever. All that he has becomes ours. His riches become our inheritance. But not only are we blessed for our good, there's the other reason. We're blessed for his glory. For his glory. Three times in the passage we see that. Uh, uh, Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Um, Excuse me, that wasn't one. Verse 12, um, so that we were, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then in verse 14, until we require possession of it, unto the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory is the phrase that Paul continues to go back to. Glory speaks of, of, of honor and praise and value and wonder and splendor. Uh, to, to glorify is to, to manifest to others God's glory. His, his, to manifest his righteousness, his holiness, his, his grace, his 
power. The meaning of being blessed for his glory is, is that our blessing brings, brings pleasure to him. Our blessing brings pleasure to him. It manifests his character to the world. Now just ponder that thought. Our blessing, the, the seven things we listed, those things, the fact that we have experienced those blessings, they bring pleasure to him. It's amazing. I was thinking about parenthood. Parenthood helps us understand this a little bit more. Have you ever been to a graduation? I, I imagine you've been to a graduation. Uh, in high school or college, I remember the thought that it's, it's nice to celebrate um, the finishing of, of that year of, that, of school. But you know, it, it's really a big deal, not to the one who graduates, but to the parents, the uncles, the aunts. You know, they're the ones who really, you know, for, for the graduates, it's usually a hot day in the sun. When's this going to be over? That's what graduation becomes for a lot of, lot of people. But for those who have invested, the, 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 those, the parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts, they're the ones who, when they hear that name, they cheer because they're the ones, it's a big deal to them. You know, the blessings that we have in Christ are a big deal to God. You see, that, that's the picture. And, and he is rejoicing. He blessed. He's blessed because we are blessed. He's the one who's provided all the spiritual blessings for us. And yet, yet, he himself is blessed because we are being blessed. God loves to bless. And all the spiritual blessings that we have are from him and his son. We're blessed for our good and for his glory. We said that God makes known to us this the, the, the things we have in Christ, the riches that we have in Christ. And one way that God manifests his presence and, and, and he makes known to us and makes them real to us is through the table of the Lord. That's one of the purposes of the Lord's table. That's why every month we take this time, this sacrament, to, to, to just take, to pause and reflect and think and praise because of the simplicity, the simple fact that you're going to heaven because of Jesus. What a simple fact, but what an amazing truth that we are saved not by what we've done, but by his grace. He has made, known that, made that known to us. So let's, let's fo refocus our hearts now to move towards this awareness, this, this incredible awareness that, that he has done this work for us, and he's excited that we're here experiencing this blessing, this spiritual grace through the, through the sacraments, that he's more excited about it than even we are. Ponder that thought. Ponder that thought. This, is, this table is the Lord's table. Jesus instituted this, this sacrament on the night before he, he died for our sins. It was a Passover night, that Passover supper they had every, every year in the Jewish culture, but he, he, made, he shifted it. He said, this, is, this, is, this doesn't just point back to what happened in Exodus. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the cup that is going to be the blood that's shed for the remission of sins. He was going to do that within 24 hours on the cross for them. And believers throughout the years have continued to celebrate that death. To celebrate the death of our Savior because of his death. We are redeemed. It's officers to come forward as we, as we continue. So this table is not 
this church's table. This is the Lord's table. It's his, uh, he's the one who instituted this. This is for those who, who understand, who have repented of their sins and, 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 and are walking in, in, in the truth of the gospel, who, 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 who have made that commitment. If you're a young person and, and you talk to your parents and, and, that's, and you have the, the permission, that's, that's fine through this, through this session. If you're, if you're a visitor and, and you know Christ and you understand the, the gospel, if he's your savior, we, we invite you to, 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 to celebrate with us. This isn't our table. It's the Lord's table. But if, you're, if you don't know Christ and you're not sure you know Christ and you've not trusted in him, whether you're a visitor or, or, or not, you're a regular, we ask you to, to let it pass by. The scriptures give warning and, and blessing. There's a, there's a blessing that this will be a source of spiritual strength for us. He'll make himself known to us because we'll see our sin and we'll see his grace. But, but, if, we, but if we don't do it in the right spirit, it becomes a spiritual poison to us. It doesn't do that. It, uh, does, it has negative effects on our, on our spirits. So the scriptures say to examine yourself. And so we take a moment now to, to pray quietly to the Lord. Examine your heart.